Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm Pastor John. If you're new here or visiting, and it's nice to have you here. I'm the senior pastor of Stonebridge. And a couple of things before we dive into the sermon. One is I just want to remind you all that after the service today, we are having a, a town hall informational meeting to talk about um, the, the undeveloped pad over there and an application that we submitted to the city and give you all uh, a small update. I want to set expectations. A small update, but an update nonetheless. So I invite you to stay after the service. Um, it'll begin right at 10.05 um, between services. So if you haven't already planned on that or this is the first you're hearing of it, well, just stay for an extra 20 minutes or so and learn about the life of the church and what God is doing. So I invite you to that. The other thing is, I, I just, I realized last night, I need to start preparing everybody. Um, some of you know this, I don't know if everybody knows this, but my wife and I are having our third child. Um, yeah, yeah. Was that Jason? Was that, who was that? Yeah, it was Jason. Okay. Um, yeah, so what that means, though, is that uh, when the child is born, uh, it's our third boy, when he's born, we will be, yeah, somebody just laughed at us. Yeah. Um, we will be, I will be on uh, family leave. So sometime between mid-November and mid-December in there, you will see me and then I will be gone for about four weeks and then I'll be back. But I want to make sure everybody knows I will be here Christmas Eve. Um, even if the baby comes December 23rd, I will be here Christmas Eve, okay? So come to Christmas Eve and I will be here. Um, I don't know. Some of you might be like, oh, huh. <laughs> but I'll be here. <laughs> so want to make sure everybody aware I want to start getting you all ready for that because we're, we're actually coming up here and we're starting to feel like a reality in our home. So we are in this sermon series looking at the rise and fall of David. And just as a reminder, David is the second king of Israel. And under David is when the 12 tribes have this bit of transformation where they start having more of a collective identity together. David really unites them into a kingdom into one people. They were 12 tribes with a different structure of judges ruling them, and now under David, they become people. Um, so we're looking at, as I said, David's rise and David's fall, and we're still in the rise portion here. But I'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27, and I invite you to hear God's word. And David sang this lament for Saul and for Jonathan, and he said to teach hard things to the sons of Judah. Look, it is written down in the book of Jashar. The splendor, O Israel, on your heights lays slain. How have the warriors fallen? Tell it not in Gath, proclaim not in Ashkelon's streets, lest the Philistine daughters rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised gloat. O hills of Gilboa, no dew, and no rain upon you, O lofty fields. For there the warrior's shield was besmirched, the shield of Saul unburnished with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the warrior's fat, Jonathan's bow did not retreat, and the sword of Saul never turned away empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and dear, in their life and their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and bangles, who studded your garments with jewelry of gold. How have the warriors fallen in the midst of the battle? Jonathan, upon your heights slain, I grieve for you, my brother Jonathan. Very dear you were to me, 
More wondrous your love to me than the love of women. How have the warriors fallen and the gear of battle is lost? Please pray with me. Lord, we are gathered here this morning because we seek to be your people. We seek to follow you. We seek to grow deeper in our faith in you. We seek to let people know of the hope that we have in you, and we seek to extend your love to others. So Lord, I ask that you speak to us through your scriptures now, that you teach us through David, that you help us understand the ways in which he can be an example to us, and that you can speak to us through this moment in David's life and through your scriptures. So Lord, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us now, for we are listening. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I mean, I can confess, the last couple of weeks, we've been a little rough on David. Trying to set him in an appropriate context and help us understand that he is a human being with good moments and bad moments. And as a powerful human being, his bad moments have a little more repercussion than most of ours. But this week, this passage, we're looking at one of David's better moments. In fact, this is one of David's best moments, I think, throughout his story. In this passage, what I read to you is a a psalm, a a song that David wrote, that David composed, and he wanted it written down, and he wanted it spread throughout the land. He wanted it passed down to future generations. And in this song, David is grieving. He's grieving the deaths of two people. Now, one of these people makes perfect sense for David to be grieving. One of them makes all the sense in the world for David to be mourning. The other one, though, is quite surprising. When you look at the relationship, when you look at the history between David and this individual, it doesn't make sense that David would be grieving this person. But here David is grieving in this moment. Now, the first person is Jonathan. And I just have to say, it's weird for me to ever preach about Jonathan because that actually is my name. We also have Pastor Jonathan, and my oldest son's name is Jonathan as well. So it's just weird. A lot of Jonathans in my life. But we're talking about Prince Jonathan here in the Bible. And David and Jonathan are known for their friendship. They are close friends. They are fast friends. They are best friends, BFF for life but it's a surprising friendship. They shouldn't actually be friends. Remember, David was anointed king way back in 1 Samuel. And when David was anointed king, he was a young shepherd. Samuel went to his house. We talked about this two weeks ago. Samuel went to his house, passed over all of his older brothers, and asked for him to come in from watching over the flock. And then he was anointed God. But it takes David a long time from being anointed king to actually sitting on the throne. Maybe even decades. And during that time, there's actually another king who doesn't take kindly to David, who doesn't think David is helpful, who wants to destroy David, get rid of David. That king is Jonathan's father. And if there's anybody who should be threatened by David, it's Jonathan. Because Jonathan is the first in the line of succession. He's the one who should sit upon the throne. So if his father, the king, thinks David is a threat, 
Jonathan should think that also, and yet Jonathan never does. Jonathan is always kind to David. Jonathan cares for David. When his father is about to attack David, Jonathan will give him a heads up. Jonathan is always kind and generous to David, giving all of us Jonathans a good name. And they're friends. So David mourning Jonathan makes perfect sense. But that second person is surprising. It's Saul, Jonathan's father. Saul does everything he can to make David's life miserable. He throws spears at him when David is defenseless and David has to dodge it. He exiles David from the land that he's known. He chases him with an army through mountains and hills. Saul does everything to make David's life horrible and to end David's life. So when David is sitting here, mourning Saul, grieving Saul, we should all be surprised. This isn't what you would expect from somebody who has experienced another person who is trying to murder them. This isn't the normal response. And if David had rejoiced over Saul's death, it would have been perfectly normal. How many would-be kings have celebrated the death of the person who was in their way to the throne? But that's not how David responds here to Saul. So this passage... This moment, I, I think it is one of David's best moments for a couple of reasons. One is because of this response to Saul. It's reflective of David's entire treatment of Saul throughout the, relation, or the duration of their relationship. David's treatment of Saul stands out. Throughout this whole episode, when Saul is attacking David, when he's going after David, David never responds in kind. David's treatment of Saul remains pure. David never tries to fight back. He never lifts a hand against Saul. In fact, there's one story that's told where Saul is chasing David through these mountains. And David, with his men, goes into a cave to hide. And he goes deep into this cave. And Saul doesn't realize that David and his men are in that cave. Saul goes into the cave, falls asleep. David realizes that Saul is there, and he sneaks up on him. And reading it, if you're reading it for the first time, you start to think, David's going to get him here. David's going to end the conflict. David has Saul right where he wants him. But instead... David just chops off a piece of Saul's clothing and scampers away. And then later on, Saul's chasing him again, trying to murder him. And David lifts up the clothing and says, look, I'm not a threat to you. I could have harmed you, but I didn't. And then they have this beautiful moment where Saul says, oh, thank you, thank you. And then a week later, he's trying to kill him again. So it doesn't really work big picture, but you still see David's character. And I think that David's treatment of Saul, the fact that he won't harm Saul, this is one of David's better character traits throughout his story. He has his flaws, but this is a good moment for him. David should have rejoiced. The path to the throne was clear. And when Saul died, David, or David could have 
thrown his name through the mud. He could have tried to tear Saul down, but he doesn't. Instead, we have this poem lifting Saul up, telling others to weep over Saul, highlighting the good things that Saul did in giving the daughters of Israel jewelry. David lifts Saul up in this moment when he has every reason not to. And keep in mind, this is hundreds of years before Jesus would tell his followers to love your enemies. David's treatment of Saul, the way he won't harm Saul, it stands out in stark contrast to the world around him. So here in this moment when he's grieving, we see it crystallized. We see it written down, and we see David wanting this to be the memory of Saul and spread throughout the nation. So that's where I say this is one of David's better moments. But then the other reason I think this is one of David's better moments, he's grieving, and he's grieving publicly. And not only that, He wants everybody to know that he is grieving. He's open about his grief in this moment. He's not trying to hide it away. And for a would-be ruler, I don't know, for especially in a military culture like his was in this day, I don't know how many people want a warrior king who writes down the moments where he cries and spreads them throughout the land. But David's not afraid of that. David is vulnerable in this moment, and he writes down his vulnerability for all to see. Again, this is not a very normal response. David is used to sharing his emotions. I mean, he's connected with the Psalms. He's responsible for many of the Psalms, and you have a range of human emotions in the Psalms. There's also another story where David is dancing in the streets. He's rejoicing. He's celebrating, and he makes a complete fool of himself. And he's dancing, and he embarrasses his wife, which all the middle-aged men in here, you you get it, you know. But he doesn't care. He keeps going. There's something about David where he's not afraid to express what it is he's feeling, especially his grief. And in that, I think he can serve as an example for us. I don't think we as a culture do grief very well. Some of us will individually, but collectively, I think it makes people uncomfortable. I think it makes people uncomfortable when they're grieving or when somebody else is grieving. We don't know what to say. We worry about the awkwardness. We don't want to make it worse. We kind of tiptoe around it. We're we're careful with it. I think it's something that we can do better with. And I think David does give us a bit of an example here. Because here's the thing with grief. When it comes to grief, everyone experiences it. Every single one of us is going to experience serious loss in our lives. If you haven't already, you will, but I'm sure you have. We're all going to experience grief. And no matter what, at some point, you feel it. People try to bury it down. They try to avoid it. They try to run from it. But at some point, it comes up to the surface. You can run as fast as you want, but the grief is faster than you, and it will catch up. But I think we all have known people, maybe we've been the person who tries to run from it, who just makes decision after decision that really is about distracting ourselves from our grief, and we don't pause to actually feel it, to experience it, to mourn, to grieve. Now, some of you know that in my previous life, 
I worked in political campaigns. You know, don't throw fruit at me or anything. But at one point, I was working for a candidate for mayor of a mid-sized city in California. I'm not going to tell you any more details beyond that because I'm giving you a little behind the scenes here. But working for a candidate for a mayor. And it was an early in my career. It was an exciting opportunity. It was fun for a while. And then it became a complete and utter embarrassing disaster. Really very embarrassing. Now, not for me personally, just for the record here, okay? You can see how embarrassing it is. I'm distancing myself from this. And most people probably didn't even know about it, but for like the insiders, super, super embarrassing moment. Our candidate did not make the ballot because the campaign manager didn't get enough signatures. For those of you who don't really understand the process, that's like the very, very first step. That's the easiest thing you will do. Um, so it was the campaign manager's responsibility. He got fired. Um, the campaign was over, though. But then I remember we were all sitting around and reflecting and trying to navigate this embarrassing exit for our candidate. And we just looked and we were reflecting, and I just had this moment where I realized, like, this was an utter disaster from the beginning. No decisions made any sense. None of it made any sort of coherent sense. It was like we were just making one decision after another independent of each other without any sort of plan. And I actually raised this. And the candidate had this moment of clarity. And she said to us, you know what, this is my fault. And then she said, I never gave myself a chance to grieve. What had happened was about a year or two earlier, her husband had passed away. And her husband had been her partner in politics. He had managed her other campaigns. But he had passed away, and instead of grieving, she jumped right into a race for mayor. She was distracting herself. She was trying to do what she knew, and maybe she was trying to keep a legacy going with her husband. Maybe she was trying to make it feel better that if she won another race in his memory, then it wouldn't hurt as bad. But she never gave herself a chance to grieve. She never gave herself that opportunity to say goodbye to him well. And it affected all of her other decisions. And it became a disaster for all of us. And the young man who was a campaign manager, his career was pretty much over after that. He had to leave town and go find another career in a different city. And it really came down to this one person not being willing to grieve. Now, that's my example of somebody who does that, but I think we all know somebody who refuses to grieve, who refuses to embrace that sadness that we all feel as human beings. That's where David is an example for us in this. He's not afraid to experience the sadness when Saul and Jonathan are gone. He's not afraid to write it down. He's not afraid to let everybody know. And as a would-be king and a future king, he makes sure that this is recorded. We don't actually have to be afraid of grief. It hurts. Each of us will experience that hurt, but it's not something we need to fear. So this is one of David's better moments, but you know me. I'm going to critique him. It's just who I am. One of the things that bothers me about this poem, he never mentions God. In all of his other psalms, he mentions God, but in this one, he leaves God out of it. It's just about Saul and Jonathan. And for me, the reason we do not have to fear grief is because of God. 
It's because for those of us who lift up Jesus as Lord, when we look to the cross, we know that when Jesus went to the cross, he bore the burden of sin, but he also bore the burden of grief. He bore the consequences of sin. He bore the sadness that we experience, that sense of loss. He bore death on the cross. He bore all of it when he went to the cross, and when he was resurrected, he overcame it. So for us as Christians, when you feel that grief, that sadness creeping in, and you want to run from it, we don't have to because we know it's always only temporary. We know that there is a deeper hope underneath any sort of grief we might experience. We know that whatever it is we've lost will be restored. That's the promise of the gospel. So here with David's moment, I think we can take courage. He was not afraid to mourn Saul and Jonathan publicly, to be open about it. And when we look to the cross, when we understand the gospel, we can have confidence that whatever it is we have lost, God will restore it, God will redeem it, that we will see the loved ones that we have lost also. That's the promise of resurrection. That's the hope of Christian faith. So I hope that this week you go from here with that hope, with that confidence. You go knowing that there is a God out there who will restore all that was lost, who will make this world right again, and who has promised to do so and is faithful to that promise. And I hope you also go knowing that there is a church community here focused on that God, focused on that hope that can sustain your grief. Whatever it is, God can handle it. Whatever it is you've experienced, God can handle it. Not only can handle it, has already handled it on the cross and the resurrection. And I hope you go knowing that there's people here, deacons, who are willing to pray with you, to be with you. They're not going to make everything better. Your growth group isn't going to make everything better. We don't take away the grief. That's God's job. But we can be with one another, alongside one another, bearing that burden together. And maybe... Just make it a little more bearable. God has already handled it. May we live in that hope. And like David, may we be open in those moments where we feel that sadness instead of trying to hide it. Please pray with me. Lord, your love is deep. Your love is great. And your love is greater than any sort of grief or loss that we could ever experience. And we know that in Jesus, you became one of us. You experienced the suffering that we experienced, that it might be overcome. Help us to live in that hope. And instead of running from whatever grief we've experienced, Lord, help us to feel it. Help us to be open about it. And instead of running from the people in our lives that are experiencing grief, help us to come alongside them, to be present with them, to do what we can to let them know they aren't alone in it. Lord, help us to understand that we all experience grief at one point or another, and that we can be together in the midst of that, but that ultimately we can have our hope in you, our trust in you, and trust in the promise of the Gospels. So like David, Lord, help us to grieve and to grieve well together as a community with one another. And help us to hold on to that hope and share that hope that we have in you. And as we give our offering, Lord, 
Bless this offering so that it would be used so that that hope would spread. Bless this offering so that those who are grieving throughout our community would know they don't have to be alone. Bless this offering that we might extend your love to others, that in the midst of their grief, they can have a ray of hope, a seed of hope that grows deeper. Lord, bless this offering and use it so that your name would spread. We thank you. It's the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We're going to continue worship now by giving back to God together as a community. So I'll invite our ushers to come forward as we lay our gifts at God's feet.
Once torn and beaten Left without reason To move on Then you reached down and brought me Up from the valley of dry bones You are the God that saves You are the one that the one that 